book of Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse number 13. The Bible says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, or Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight, and I'm going to talk to you about an Elijah ministry in the 21st century. An Elijah ministry in the 21st century, or just simply an Elijah ministry. God bless you. You may be seated. Even though the verses that I read to you tonight are in the book of Luke, which is placed third in the order of the Gospels in our New Testament, the narrative of this passage actually predates that of any of the other Gospels because it's speaking of the birth of John the Baptist who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Therefore, these verses literally split the Old and the New Testaments, closing out the Old and introducing the New. And yet, as I read to you tonight, the angel of the Lord is also making clear that some things are not changing and that there were going to be some things that would remain essentially the same. And I want to deal with about three of them if I have time tonight. The first thing I believe that these verses tell us is that there would be a continuing ministry from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Because this man that was going to be born, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, was not going to come with some new, different, unknown type of ministry, but he would come representing a ministry that would be in the Spirit and power of Elijah. Of course, anyone who knows anything about the Word of God knows that Elijah is one of the great prophets in the Old Testament. He appears during a time of great apostasy. And when Israel was backslidden away from God and steeped in idolatry, 
and they were under the leadership of one of the most corrupt and wicked kings and his wife that Israel ever had in their history, Ahab and wicked Jezebel. Elijah shows up on the scene and his very opening act is to declare that the heavens are going to shut up and there will be no more rain. And that's exactly what happened, which I'm sure did not win him the popularity contest that year. Praise the Lord. When he finally comes before Ahab, this is what Ahab says to him. He says, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Elijah had a ministry that was not well liked and appreciated. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? It's amazing to me how many times that people mistake their friends for their enemies. And their enemies for their friends. And again in the 21st chapter of 1 Kings, the king says to him, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And Elijah responds by saying, I have found thee. You're right, I found you. He wasn't denying that fact that they were in conflict with one another. And that they were adversaries. Because of what Ahab represented and what Elijah represented. You're going to help me preach a little while tonight? And then of course there is the great showdown on Mount Carmel. When Elijah goes up and he confronts hundreds of the false prophets of Baal. With the challenge that God that can answer with fire and consume the sacrifice. That's the God that we will serve. Brother Urshan touched on it briefly here this morning, but I want to point something out. That when Elijah went up to Mount Carmel, he did not build a new altar. He didn't erect an altar on a spot where there had never been an altar. But in fact, the Bible clearly states that he repaired the altar of the Lord. In other words, there had been an altar there for a long time. But it was in disrepair. And it was not being used. Praise the Lord. You know something? If we'll start doing what we used to do, God will start moving like he used to move. He repaired the altar of the Lord. And we know that God honored him by responding with fire. Basically then we can say that Elijah's ministry was one that confronted sin. It was a ministry that opposed unrighteousness and challenged evil and called out corruption and took a stand for truth even when he was all by himself. When there was nobody cheering him on, Nobody in his amen corner. Nobody backing him up. But sometimes somebody's just got to step up to the plate and do what's got to be done. This was not a ministry that looked the other way. 
It was not a ministry that appeased. And it was not a ministry that condoned evil. But that cried out against ungodliness at the highest levels of government. On down. Hallelujah. Now 900 years have passed. And God is getting ready to move in the world again. And he needs a man to step up once again. And face down the mass of evil that was all around. It would not be a man with some new cutting edge ministry as I already said. But the angel declared he's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. In other words 900 years later the new was going to be actually the old. It was going to take the same kind of ministry that it took 900 years ago to face down evil in that present time. God was going to use John the Baptist like a surgical instrument, amen, to bring about radical change. But it wasn't going to be with something new and fandangled, but it was going to be with the same anointing, same power, same ministry. He would come as a voice crying in the wilderness saying prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. He would take on the religious and the secular authorities. Amen. And not be ashamed or afraid or intimidated by them. He would challenge them without fear and favor. He wasn't trying to extend the right hand of fellowship. He looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, You generation of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. You know what? He got a following for a while and among the congregation was the very king, Herod. The Bible said he heard him and he did many things gladly. Oh, how advantageous, John, for you to have the king in your congregation. So you need to soft pedal some things and you need to not be so harsh and you need to not be so stringent and so loud Amen and strident in your opposition to evil because think of how much good can get done if you've got the king on your side. But this was not the kind of ministry that backed down. This was not the kind of ministry that looked the other way. And one day while he's preaching, amen, about the soldiers being content with their wages and Herod is saying, yeah, preach it, John. And while he's preaching to the people that they should do violence to no man and Herod is saying, that's right, preach it, John. John turned around and pointed his finger at him and said, and by the way, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Amen. His boldness would cost him followers. And eventually it would cost him his life. But he still didn't back down. 
I said he still didn't back down. Hallelujah. We know that he played a vital role in introducing the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And though he said, Amen, that there is coming one after me, the latches of whose shoes I'm not worthy to loose. He's going to baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. And he said, I must decrease, but he must increase. And eventually John is put in prison. And eventually he loses his life. But Jesus is out there now. Amen. And he's preaching. And he takes his disciples one day to Caesarea Philippi. And he asks them a vital question. Who do men say that I am? And immediately the answer was, some say you're John the Baptist. And some say you're Elijah. You know why? Because while John the Baptist was in prison and maybe even beheaded by this point, amen, the ministry and power of Elijah just kept right on going. God is always going to have himself a man. God is always going to have himself a voice. God is going to have a ministry that is going to take a stand. And the preaching of Jesus Christ sounded strangely similar to that of John the Baptist. And it made people think of the prophet Elijah. And then you read in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke. And the Bible says in Herod the Tetrarch. He started hearing about the things that Jesus did. And the Bible says he was perplexed. And he wondered uh, what, what man this was and what was... And he heard the rumors because there were some, the Bible says, that were saying this was John the Baptist risen from the dead. And others said it is Elijah that has appeared. So that even to Herod the Tetrarch, his greatest fears... Amen. We're being confirmed. You can cut this man's head off, but you can't silence that voice. You can't stop that ministry. God is going to get his work done. God is going to get his word said. And the Bible says, amen, that he responded. I thought I beheaded John the Baptist. Who is this? And I've got good news for you. All down through the centuries and the millenniums of time, the devil has thought over and over again, there, I stopped it. I silenced it. It's over. I don't have to deal with that anymore. And up pops another one. And up pops another one. And up pops another one. And they sound just like John the Baptist. And they sound just like Elijah. Because God is always going to have an Elijah ministry. Amen. So the apostles in their ministry, amen, they stirred up whole cities. They caused riots in cities. In Thessalonica, it was said 
Amen. These that turn the world upside down are come hither also. Woo, hallelujah. Boy, the world needs a little bit of that, doesn't it? And when Paul wrote to Timothy, the young man that would, for all practical purposes, take his position in leadership in the early New Testament church age, he told him all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And in the fourth chapter, he said, Timothy, I'm going to charge you before God. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And they shall be turned unto fables. But don't stop preaching. Don't stop declaring. Don't start calling them out. Don't stop opposing. Don't start preaching against it. Come on, love the Lord here tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, love the Lord here tonight. Hey Amen. Here we are, 2,000 years after John. And we're living in a modern age and in a modern world. So much has changed. And yet so little has changed. Iniquity abounds. We're living in a world that is depraved, that is corrupt, that is anti-God. I'm not going to try to make a political statement here tonight, but I will just say that the election of uh, a year and a half, two years ago, seems like it took the cover off of a whole lot of goofiness and weirdness and corruption and, uh, and perversion that was simmering beneath the surface and it has come to the surface and we're alarmed and we're in shock as we see this happening all around us. A world that is filled with sin, a world that is filled with iniquity and false doctrine on every hand. I submit to you tonight, there has never been a greater need than for an Elijah ministry than in now in the 21st century. A ministry that will not back down, a ministry that will cry aloud, a ministry that will challenge, a ministry that will oppose, and a ministry that will spare not. Come on, folks. This is not the time for cutesy sermons. This is not the time for trendy ministries. This is not the time for slogans and cliches. This is not the time for progressive ministries. This is not the time for entertaining ministries. We're not here to entertain you. We're here to preach to you. And we're here to preach against the world of iniquity that is around us. 
It's not about sound bites and masterpieces as Brother Urshan said today. We're not here to tickle your ears. We're not here to pet your flesh. We're here in the spirit and the power of Elijah saying, turn around and face your God and serve him. Not the time for ministerial showmanship. It's not the time for flamboyance in the pulpit. Come on now. We're not up here to show off our suits and our shoes and our neckties. I don't care how fashionable you are. I don't care how trendy you are. We're not up here to set new dress the new fashion standards for the church. I remind you that Elijah came, well, John the Baptist came, amen, clothed in camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. Thank God for nice clothes and thank God for steak dinners and all the other things he's blessed us with. But that's not what this is about. I'm troubled by the current fascination with sensationalism. Not just in religion in general, not just in the charismatic movement, but in Pentecost. Amen. We'd rather be entertained than preached to. But if we've ever needed preaching, it is today. There's nothing that will do the job that preaching will do. I know I sound like a broken record now, but I'm going to say it one more time. It pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching. Thank God for good music. Thank God for talent. Thank God for singing. But there's no replacement for flat-footed preaching. We're not smarter than God is. We haven't figured out a more effective means and a better tool and a better mechanism than God. God created the universe. I don't know how to create an ant and make it work, but God has created everything around us and made it function so seamlessly, so harmoniously. Amen. He's the one that creates the clouds in the sky that can whip up a thunder boomer in a matter of a few minutes and shake the whole earth in thunder and lightning. Hallelujah. He's the one that can press on the world and a volcano like a pimple will go off with many forces, that, and many times the force of a nuclear bomb. That's the God that I, you think he hasn't figured out. Amen. That he couldn't figure out a better way than preaching and yet it pleased God. It, ple- it may not please you, honey, but it pleased God. I'm going to go over here where they have more entertainment in their church. Go ahead. I'm going to go over here where they got a bigger program. Go ahead. I'm going to go over here where they have better singers and better this and better. Go ahead. But you better pray. You better pray instead that God will send you a preacher. In the spirit 
and power of Elijah. Y'all hearing me tonight? Praise God. Amen. Ministries that are focused on crowd response. And even just promoting a shout. And I like shout. And I like worship, so I'm not against worship. Don't get me wrong. There is a difference. There is a difference. But we're not preaching tonight just so that you'll jump around a little bit. We're preaching tonight so that we will get our hearts right with God. Get a little quiet here this evening, but it's still true. Churches and whole movements are filling up with carnality, an infiltration of worldliness, even among many in the conservative apostolic ranks. From year to year, you see a noticeable change because somebody's afraid to speak up and somebody's afraid to declare and somebody's afraid to speak out. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, but I'm going to tell you something. The greatest favor God can give you is to let the spirit and power of Elijah rest on somebody. And I'm going to tell you, this happens in the local assembly too sometimes. Amen. The enemy starts encroaching upon us. And even at times coming in like a flood. And the spirits of hell are all around us. And the pastor feels like he's fighting a losing cause. And he's trying to swim upstream. And nothing's working. And the hounds of hell are howling. And the demonic spirits are laughing him to scorn. And he feels alone. And he feels helpless. And then one day, he comes out of a prayer room. He comes out of his closet of prayer with a gleam in his eye. And he walks to the platform and now he has no friends and he doesn't even have a family. He's all by himself and he ascends the pulpit like he's walking up to the top of Mount Carmel and he gets ready for the showdown and he starts repairing the altar of the Lord. Get ready, honey. Something is about to happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is time for the Elijahs to step up. It is time for the Elijahs to speak out. Amen. To withstand against all the powers of the enemy. Preaching that is anointed and straight from the throne of God. Hebrews 4 and 12 still says, The word of God is quick and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Can I tell you something, my friend? That's the only kind of preaching that will do you any good. 
the kind that pierces, the kind that divides, and the kind that discerns. The ministry of Elijah is a lonely ministry. It's not a popular ministry. Amen. And even James tells us in the fifth chapter that Elijah or Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. He had many moments of self-doubt and of fear and of anxiety and inner trouble and turmoil. Oh yeah, you see, it wasn't all the fire falling on the top of Mount Carmel. I can show you where he ran from a woman. And uh, you may laugh at that, but some of these pastors know how serious that can be. Amen. He ran from a woman. And he hid in a cave. And he felt sorry for himself. And he wished that he could die. Because he said, I'm the only one left. It seems like I'm the only one still fighting and still trying to take a stand. And God says, come on out of that cave, Elijah, because I have 7,000 others that have not bowed their knee. I'd like to believe that in 2018, God still has some Elijahs. And he's still got some people with an attitude that says, Preacher, if you'll preach, we'll do it. If you'll preach, we'll obey. If you'll preach, we'll stand behind you. You still with me tonight? You know what Elijah needs as much as anything else? As much even as the anointing and whatever else that you might put on that list. You know what Elijah needs? I'll tell you what Elijah needs. Elijah needs an Elisha. Because when he felt like he just couldn't go any longer, God gave him an Elisha. Thank God for young preachers that aren't just trying to be cool. That aren't just trying to be fashionable. And aren't just trying to be trendy. But they're saying to Elijah, give me a double portion of your spirit. Let your mantle fall on me. Let me feel that same anointing. Let me have that same hand of God upon me. We can't do it by ourselves. But if we can get an Elisha to walk with us. And Elisha to pour water over your hands. And Elisha to say, go ahead preacher, I'm behind you. A hundred percent. I'm with you. And Elisha, that even when given the opportunity to turn around and go back. I'm fixing to leave, Elisha. Go back. Go back. Amen. And Elisha said, uh-uh. Not going back, I'm staying with you all the way. All the way to the end. All the way to the end. Go back, go back. No, I'm staying with you all the way. Amen. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how feeble you are. I don't care how crazy everybody else thinks you are. I'm with you. I'm behind you. 100% of the way. 
Well, what is it that you want, Elisha? I want a double portion. Come on, lift your hands and worship the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost beginning to move in this place here tonight. I know this isn't a shouting message, but I feel like somebody's getting a hold of it right now. Oh, we need an Elijah ministry. Could it be that there is still room for an Elijah ministry in the 21st century? Amen. The second thing, I believe in them that is contained here is not just the fact that there would be a continuing ministry but that there would also be a continuing message a continuing message can anybody tell me what john the baptist's main message was hey man i don't care where he started he ended on repentance don't care what text he read He ended on repentance. He was a repentance preacher. And if you boil down his message to its essence, it was simply this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said to those pseudo-religious folks and the elite around him, he said, he said, "It, it is time for you to quit boasting. We're Abraham's children because God is able to raise up of stones, of these stones, children unto Abraham. But now is the axe laid to the root of the tree and every tree that does not bear forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. It's all about repentance. And when Jesus went into the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil... Forty days and nights, he comes back out and inaugurates his ministry. Then the Bible tells us that from that day, he began to go into all the cities and towns. And this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And before going away, he assembled his disciples and he told them this, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance and remission of sins. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, The Holy Ghost fell on them and a crowd assembled and they asked, what does this mean and what is this about? And Peter gets up and begins to preach. And when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The very first thing that Peter said was, repent. I've got a message for this camp meeting tonight. It still starts 
with repentance. I've got a message for all of Pentecost tonight. It still starts with repentance. I've got a message for all those listening on Holy Ghost Radio right now. It still starts with repentance. And I've got a message for all of America. It still starts with repentance. Not accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not repeating some flimsy, flimsy little sinner's prayer. But real, heartfelt repentance. You know what our problem is in a lot of our churches? We're trying to disciple people that have never really repented. We're trying to perfect people that have never really been born again. Yes, you've got to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. But it starts with repentance. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So me all is staring at me like I just fell out of a coconut tree. You know what we need in Pentecost? We need a revival of the message of repentance. In fact, don't fall out with me tonight, but you cannot proclaim and declare and bestow the Holy Ghost on an audience full of people without them repenting. You can't take repentance out of the equation. You can get somebody jibber-jabbering, but unless they've repented, they'll never bear good fruit. Come on, let's hurry and get in the water. Let's, let's get you baptized. Amen. I'm not going to minimize baptism because it is important and it is essential. And without it, you can't be saved. But I'm going to tell you something. It will do no good to baptize somebody who has not repented. Unless you die out to sin and die out to the world, it's not going to work. It still begins with repentance. You want the ministry of Elijah in the 21st century? You need to be ready to hear a whole lot more preaching about repentance. Come on, love the Lord here tonight. Love the Lord. And so, so John, excuse me, Paul is going through Ephesus and he runs into some disciples of John. Hallelujah. And, and he says, 
have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Aha. That was a major clue. Tip off. Something else is lacking here. Unto what then were you baptized? Well, unto John's baptism. Very good. Very good. But even John said that he was baptizing unto repentance. But there was coming one after him that would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Thank God it begins with repentance. But then it moves to baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And then Paul laid his hands on them. Amen. And they received the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. You know what? We're going to preach and stand for all of the apostolic message. And it's still repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And the Bible says with many other words that he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. We're still an apostolic people. And it's still in order at camp meeting 2018 to preach Acts 2.38. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. You've still got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, we must, we must be saved. Come on, if you can't get excited about that, you're not even apostolic. The Baptists aren't going to get excited about it. The Catholics aren't going to get excited about it. The Presbyterians aren't going to get excited about it. There's only one name that has the power to save you. And that's the name of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, it still works. Acts 2.38 still works. Can I get a witness in this house? They were singing about one God because we are one God people. And we're not ashamed of it and we make no apologies for it. Years ago, an article came out in the Charisma magazine that it was time for the oneness Pentecostals to ask forgiveness, amen, and relinquish or resign from baptizing in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And rejoin mainstream religion, which is about as fake 
as fake news and mainstream media. So, I tell you what, tonight I'm going to apologize for preaching there is one God. As soon as Isaiah does. Because Isaiah said, is there any other God beside me? I know not any. I'm going to apologize as soon as Moses apologizes. Because it was him that said in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel! The Lord our God is one Lord! I'm going to apologize as soon as Peter apologizes because he's the one that said be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because that is the name of the Father and that is the name of the Son and that is the name of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to apologize as soon as Paul apologizes because he said in Ephesians 4 and 5, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Say, oh, you're just... You're just, you're just a one-note musician. That's all you are. Well, if that's true, so be it. But I want it to be the right note. I want it to be the right chord. And I know this much. My Bible still says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. We ought to put a trembling on the powers of darkness here tonight. Come on, somebody shout one God. Somebody tell me what his name is. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God. Father of all. Who is above all. Through all. And in you all. I feel the devil trembling here tonight. A continuing ministry, a continuing message that is still being preached today, 2,000 years later. And there is a continuing mission. What was the mission of John the Baptist? Amen. It was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's not everybody. That may not even be everybody in this house. But to make ready a prepared people
for the Lord. This is what God has wanted from the beginning. He called Abraham out of the land of his fathers. And he told him, I will make of thee a great nation. And he entered into covenant with him. I'll do this and this and this if you'll walk with me, if you'll serve me, if you'll obey me. And then that covenant was extended and renewed with Isaac and with Jacob. Praise the Lord. When he brought Israel out of Egypt, and he also told them through Moses, he said, For thou art, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord. Did the mic just go dead? Sorry. Might need a new battery in the microphone. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord. And in case you're ashamed of that label, he went on to say a special people unto himself. The Lord did not set his hand upon you because you were the greatest in number of all the people, because you were the fewer in number. In number. Amen. But because the Lord loved you. I don't know about you, but I'm proud as punch tonight that the Lord loves me. And I could go on and on here tonight, but very basically, he let them know, I've chosen you, I've kept you separated and isolated, and by the way, that's what slavery in Egypt was really all about. It was to preserve their integrity as a people during all of those years while they grew in number. Because if it wasn't for that opposition, if it wasn't for that slavery, they would have assimilated into the people and they would have lost their identity as a people. Slavery and hardship, while it was something they hated and resisted and prayed for deliverance from kept them kept them as a select group of people and he brings them out of Egypt takes them to Mount Sinai gives them the tables of stone the other commandments and then through Moses tells them in so many words that they are that way because they are to represent God to the world around them a people totally devoted and dedicated unto God. Amen. He even forbade them from mixing with the people around them, from marrying them, or merging their lifestyles with them, which would have also destroyed them as a unique people. And he used this expression, you are a peculiar people unto himself. And people like to use that, the usage of the word peculiar as being strange, odd, weird, out of place. When in fact it really meant a valued possession, a rare treasure, a unique jewel in the eyes of God. You are a peculiar people unto himself. Amen. Now they liked that sometimes. 
They embrace that sometimes, but a lot of times they chafed at it. And they resented it. And they ended up committing whoredoms and they would mix and mingle and intermarry and they would get in trouble with God and God would punish them and that he would restore them and this cycle was repeated again and again and again. But God never lost sight of his main objective. I want to have in the midst of this perverted world a people that is like no other. Out of place in the world, yes. At odds with the world, yes. But uniquely dedicated, separated, and consecrated unto God. So that as we step into the New Testament, guess what? The objective and the mission had not changed. John is going to use his ministry and he is going to make ready a people that are prepared unto the Lord. And so, the Bible lets us know in Acts chapter 15 and verse 14 that God did visit the Gentiles. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So in Acts it says, God did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's been what he's always been after. The mission has not changed. And now the opportunity was being extended to the Gentiles. In fact, in the closing pages of the Old Testament, Malachi made this statement. He said, from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, his name shall be great among the Gentiles. Something is about to happen in this room here tonight. I can feel it. He was not necessarily saying that he was going to be praised from sunup to sundown, although that application is okay too. But what it was saying was that all around the circumference of the world, just like it used to be said that the sun never set on the British Empire because they had part of their empire in all of the civilized or existing world. That's what the scripture means. From the rising of the sun till the going down of the same, his name shall be great among the Gentiles. I'm going to have a people and they're not going to be exclusively located just in Palestine, just in Israel. But they're going to be in Spain. They're going to be across Europe. They're going to be in Asia. They're going to be in China. They're going to be in South America. They're going to be in Central America. They're going to be everywhere. And we have missionaries here that are testifying to the fact that God is still working the same mission. He's still looking for a select group of people. I don't know if all of you qualify or not. 
Now God is no respecter of persons. He will not discriminate on the basis of the color of your skin. Thank God. We have every shade here tonight. He's not going to discriminate on the basis of your nationality. Your native tongue, your height, your width, hallelujah, your looks, whatever it might be, he's not going to discriminate on that basis. But he is looking for a certain type of person that will say, my life is not my own anymore. I'm not making any argument. I'm not making any demands. God, if you'll just let me in on this kingdom, I'd want to be one of your chosen few. I want to be part of your peculiar treasure. I want to be one of that number. And I know many in Pentecost have lost sight of this, but separation is still part of the apostolic message. What fellowship hath the temple of God with idols? What communion does light have with darkness? And so on and so forth. And then he says, come out! Come out from among them! And be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be your God. You can be my people. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. You just disqualified yourself. Nobody's going to tell me how to dress. You just disqualified yourself. Nobody's going to tell me whether I can cut or can't cut my hair. You just disqualified yourself. Nobody's going to tell me what kind of apparel I can wear. You just disqualified yourself. Nobody's going to tell me I can't paint myself up and deck myself out with jewelry. You just disqualified yourself. Because God is looking for a special kind. We are here tonight, a modern day Elijah ministry in the 21st century saying, where are you? Where are you, sir? Where are you, man? Where is the one that will say 100% sold out, surrendered? God, I'm yours. However you want me to live, however you want me to dress, however you want me to talk, however you want me to behave that's what I'm going to do I want to be part of the prepared people conventional wisdom says young people will not embrace this message you can't preach it this strong this tough to this modern generation they won't embrace it. I wonder if there's any young folks here tonight that will give an appropriate response to that. Where are you, young man? Where are you, young lady? 
Where's the person that will say, preach, Elijah, preach? Preach, John, preach. I want to be one of those. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If I'm going to cross theology, so be it. I still believe Jesus is coming. And He's coming after a bride that has made herself ready. A bride without wrinkle, without blemish, without spot, without any such thing. A people that will stay on their knees. A preach, a people that will be faithful to the Word of God. A people that will support their church and be loyal to the ministry. A people that will say, you can't preach it too hard. We're going to be one of them. Come on, lift your hands and begin to talk to the Lord. Make way here tonight. Make way. I just feel like doing this. I want to make way for all the young folks that want to be part of that number to come up near the front here tonight. Come on. Where are you? If you're, look, if you're not serious, if you're not sold out, don't come. I'm not preaching to you. This isn't for you. But if you're willing to sell out, consecrate, dedicate, commit 100% all the way. Come on, where are you? You want to go eat? Can we take just a few minutes? You're coming down here, you're looking at me. I don't know why you're looking at me. Come down here and put your hands up. Begin to talk to God. Now I want to know if there's any Elishas in the room. Younger preachers that will say this is never going to get old for me. I'm never going to turn my back on this. I'm going to stay true to the message that I have received that's been handed down over the generations and centuries. Where's the Joshua's, excuse me, the Elisha's that will step out? Younger preachers. Younger preachers, if you'll lie in the front here tonight and pray with these young folks, would you do it? Come on, young preachers. Come on, young preachers. Get down in here amongst them. Lay hands on them. Pray with them. Come on, folks, for a few minutes tonight. If you have a ministry, get down in here among them. Lay hands on them. Pray with them.
consecrate your life to him. Dedicate your heart to him tonight.